Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Take your Bibles and open them up to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we're continuing in our series that we've been going through now, a side by side, advancing the gospel together. Uh, and so today we're in Philippians chapter 3, verses uh, 12 to chapter 4, verse 1. And so you can open your Bibles and, and, and camp there for now. Uh, I'm sure most of you would agree that many things in life require perseverance and endurance. There's very little that we can gain in life that we can gain from simply being complacent. Uh, we need to endure, we need to persevere. There's many things in life like that. For example, learning a new skill. Uh, if you wanna learn new technology, if you wanna learn a new instrument, if you wanna uh, learn a new language, it takes time, it takes perseverance. Uh, Piano was one of my first instruments, but within a year I dropped it because I got too scared. I wish I kept going. It requires perseverance and endurance to learn new things. Uh, and even relationships, unless we endure, unless we are set on being uh, consistent and persevering through the ups and downs, there's really no intentional relationship that can come unless we are persevering and consistent and enduring in those things. Uh, and then health and fitness. Many of us probably made New Year's resolutions in this category. Uh, likely, we haven't reached them by the beginning of February. So we need to endure and persevere if we're going to see the fruit of these kind of goals. We can be tempted to give up in these kind of things uh, because either we have wrong motivations or, or we don't have enough support from those around us or we run into unexpected challenges. And the same thing can be said about the Christian life. The Christian life requires perseverance and endurance. Why? Because it's hard. The Christian life is hard, and we can be honest about that. The Bible is honest about that. We see the, the psalmist being honest about the hardships of life. The Christian life is hard, and it's difficult. We run into different challenges, and so we need to persevere, we need to endure. And so Paul, he knows this, and in the passage we're looking at today, he gives us two reasons why it's worth pressing on and enduring to the end. Uh, the, the title of today's message is Press On Towards the Goal. And this is what Paul is encouraging us to do in and through his passage. And so we're gonna look at the word right now, and so encourage you to follow along in your Bibles as, as we read this. So Philippians chapter three, starting at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. 
I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In the chapter four, verse one, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So last week we learned that as Christians, we have great joy, and so we need to work hard to protect it. Uh, the joy that we have comes from the gospel. We, we learned a lot of this last week, that in the gospel, that Christ has given us his righteousness, that in Christ we're fully justified, that in him we are being sanctified, and that one day we will be glorified. Paul sums all of these realities in what he says in, in verse, 10, uh, verse 11, that by any means possible I may attain, and here's the phrase that he uses to sum up all of these realities, the resurrection from the dead. Here's what Silva says about this. The resurrection stands here not as an isolated event. So, it's, so when Paul talks about the resurrection of the dead, he's not simply talking uh, about the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection at the end of the day, but as the culmination of the Christian hope. And he describes it. It may be described in various ways, such as the conformity to Christ, so becoming like him, fellowship with Christ, being with him, the peace of Christ, experiencing the reality of Christ, sanctification, being made more and more holy, salvation through sanctification that one day we will be glorified and eternal life. It is the culmination of the whole work of salvation with all its implications. This is what Paul says we look forward to, the sum of all of our Christian hope. So having described all that we will gain and have gained in Jesus Christ, both presently, progressively, and in the future, Paul says that he's gonna do anything he can to attain it. That he isn't satisfied with simply the present experience of Christ and his work, but that he wants to experience and know Christ fully. And that should be our desire as well, amen? That we long not simply for a present experience with Christ, but we long to know him more and more and more until one day we know him fully. And so that's, that's our desire, that should be our desire 
And so Paul, in this passage, calls us to endure because we understand that there's, there's a future hope that awaits us, but in this present time, he gives us two realities as reasons why we should endure until we do attain that future hope. We persevere, why? Because our hope is sure. We persevere till the end because our future hope is secure. And so Paul points us then to two present realities as reasons to help us persevere to our future hope. Point one, the first reason is this. We press on, why? Because we belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul begins this passage first by empathizing with the weak and the discouraged and the weary. Last week we saw that Paul addressed a false teaching that said to be accepted and approved by God, you needed to be circumcised. This week, in this passage, we see that Paul is addressing another false teaching that said that perfection was attainable in this life. Now think of the damage that that kind of teaching can cause. Think of the damage. In one case, people believe that they they are perfect, and so they do anything that they want, that they use the grace of God as a license to sin. That's damaging. But but in another case, people see the the weakness in their life, they see the deficiencies, and then they they grow discouraged, and and they start to doubt the work of God in their life because they they believe that, that they should be perfect, but they look at their own lives and they don't see it. So there's damage that's caused by false teaching. So Paul here, right in the opening verse, shows us how we ought to address false teaching in our day, right? That that our main concern shouldn't be to prove ourselves right, but it should be out of a concern for people, that there's people who are being hurt and led astray by false teaching, that our concern shouldn't be simply to prove ourselves right, but to make sure people are being cared for. So Paul, having empathized with the weak, weary, and discouraged, confesses that even as an apostle, that he has not reached spiritual perfection. And if we're honest, we tend to look at our leaders and those in positions of uh, of leadership, those who speak from the front, those who are more public, and think that they have attained some sort of spiritual perfection. But Paul is making clear that even as an apostle, and you could argue probably the, the most influential apostle, that even as an apostle that he hasn't reached spiritual perfection. Instead, he sees that that in the course of his life, he grows more and more aware of his need for Jesus Christ. If you look at the way that he introduces himself throughout the course of his letters, you see that he often begins at the beginning of his life as a Christian, as, as one of the apostles. And then, and then he says, uh, least of the apostles. Then eventually he says, you know, a fellow servant. And then in his final letters, he introduces himself as the chief of sinners. 
A sign of maturity in Christ is a growing awareness of our need for Jesus Christ. That we see Jesus clearly, but we also see ourselves clearly. Think of it like a flashlight close to an object. When the flashlight is close to its object, it only illuminates part of it. But the further back the flashlight goes, the more that is illuminated and exposed. And the same is true of us when, when we are in relationship with Jesus Christ, that, that we're, we're regularly reading his word. The light of Jesus Christ exposes more and more of us and shows us more and more of our need. A true sign of maturity is knowing, knowing that we need Jesus more. And, and so mature spiritual leaders are marked by humility because they know how much they need Jesus Christ. So Paul, as an apostle, confesses that he hasn't reached spiritual perfection, and so he's speaking to us as one who is in the, is in the middle of the same battle as we are. So we talked about how last week we understood that we've been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved uh, from the power of sin. And then one day, uh, Lord willing, and, and because his promise is sure to us, we look forward to it, that one day we will be saved from the very presence of sin. But the reality for us is that we're still in that middle section. We're being saved from the power of sin. And so Paul wants to point us to what our true Christian desire should be. Look at the text, verse 12. He says, I press on to make it my own. Verse 13, straining forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Christian longs to be free from sin. The Christian longs to, to, to abandon the effects of sin in this world. It sees how it destroys us and it, and it causes discouragement and it causes sadness and, and all of these things. The Christian longs for the day when, when the battle will be over with sin. And if we're honest, in the midst of this battle, we can become easily discouraged because we, we, we sometimes fall into old patterns of sin, often because we lack true motivation. Uh, and, and other times because we don't give ourselves over to what God has said in his word, our means of grace. That we don't, we don't give ourselves over to Christian community, that we don't read his word regularly, we don't ask the Lord in prayer and dependence for him. And, and so we can be often discouraged in our battle against sin. But Paul tells us, to press on, why? Look at the text again, verse 12. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We belong to Jesus. This is our identity right now, that we belong to him. And so we, we are able to press on in this walk of faith in the Christian life because we recognize that we have been shown grace from God in, in the rescue of his people from their sins. We belong to Jesus. And so we have a sure and secure hope. And Paul isn't the only one who says this. Jesus himself says this. Uh, Jesus says this in John. Uh, it's coming up. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Jesus is the one who gives us eternal life, and they will never perish. 
And here's our security. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Amen. Amen. For, for those of us who have come in here this morning discouraged and disheartened and, and, and with doubt, this is a great encouragement to us. I pray that the Holy Spirit would use that to remind us that we are not found just simply on our own, but God himself has us in his hand. That we are his and he will never let us go. And this is the reality that motivates us then to persevere. Right, we persevere, why? Because we are preserved by Jesus. Let that reality sink in, that we persevere first because we are preserved by Jesus. We're able to press on because Jesus himself keeps us. This is the reality that we work out of. And this is what Paul says even earlier in the letter to Philippians, in, to the letter to the church in Philippi. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. I'll read it out for you. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now also in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice Paul doesn't say work for your salvation. He says work out your salvation, or another way of saying it, work in the reality of your salvation. Because this is our present reality, we are able to press on and pursue holiness and works of righteousness, not to earn salvation, but because we already have it. And he says in verse, uh, verse 13 of chapter 2 that it's God himself who causes us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, so this righteousness that we have positionally in Jesus Christ and the desire to live a life pleasing to him is all a work of God. Here's what Frank Thielman says about this, that the righteousness in which we stand on the final day, although we will have been busy working out, of it, out its implications from the moment of our initial encounter with the gospel, so Frank's uh, showing us that we, we, earn, we get a salvation positionally because of what Jesus Christ has done, but we're busy working out its implications. So what Paul says earlier in chapter two, but yet the righteousness in which we stand on the final day is not our righteousness, but God's. It came from him to us as a gift. It was not won by our strenuous efforts, but appropriated by faith. So even in the final day, even as we've pressed on and worked hard, what saves us still isn't our own efforts. It's the work of Jesus Christ, that we stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And so knowing that we belong to Jesus, Paul calls us like a marathon runner to not get caught up with what is behind us, but to focus on what is ahead, our future hope, and run hard because we know that the promise is sure. Look at verse 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul calls us to run hard after maturity. 
That yes, we've been saved, but God hasn't left us to simply remain there. He calls us, as Paul uses, the image of a marathon runner to, to forget what lies behind and, and run hard after what is promised to those who endure. Here's how Sinclair Ferguson uh, expresses this. That we do not reach perfection in this life. This is what Paul said right away in verse 12. That we don't reach perfection in this life, although we will when Christ returns. Yet, we do not remain in spiritual infancy and immaturity throughout our lives. In fact, one of the signs of maturity will be the developing ability to forget what has passed. One of the signs of Christian maturity is that we aren't caught up with our past, that that God has done away with it, that he has made us positionally righteous before him, and we press forward. To live in the past is to hide from the reality of the present and the challenges of the future. Those who are mature in Christ will be characterized with a wholehearted pursuit of fellowship with him which looks to the future. The Christian who has understood what God has done for them doesn't concern themselves with the past but instead recognizes that there's much to be given to him if he endures. And so he runs wholeheartedly after the goal. Paul calls this true spiritual maturity. That true maturity isn't assuming perfection in this life, but true maturity is understanding how much we need to grow. That true Christian maturity understands that we are always growing and we need to pursue growth. So four ways that you can pursue growth even right now. They're not on the screen. I'm just gonna read them out for you, but four ways that you can pursue growth as a Christian. One, commit to regularly reading the Bible. Just simply that. Why? Because the word of God corrects us, it admonishes us, it exhorts us, and it tells us the ways that we need to grow. Two, look for opportunities to learn. The Christian longs to learn more and more about God and what he has done and what he has said to us in his word. So read books about the Bible, join a, join a small group if you haven't, go to workshops, read books that talk about what the Bible teaches, sit under teaching uh, of God's word, uh, because we need that, we need to learn and grow. Three, get in Christian community. Why? Because in Christian community, gifts are affirmed and deficiencies are exposed. Well, we can easily, in isolation, believe that we have the gift of encouragement. But when we get in community, that can truly be exposed. If you have it, amazing. But in Christian community, your deficiencies are exposed, but your gifts are affirmed. So we need to be in Christian community. No Christian can know their gifts apart from community. Four, engage the culture. Develop relationships with those who don't share your faith. Why? Because this way you, you start to investigate your Bible more, that you, that you figure out where do I truly stand on these issues? Why do I believe the things I do? So, so engage the culture. The Christian desires to continually pursue growth. But look at Paul's patience and compassion with those who are still immature. In verse 15, he says this, let those of us who are mature think this way. So he's saying the mature understand, the true maturity comes from understanding how much growth is needed. So those of us who are mature think this way, 
And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And so Paul is showing us uh, the, the compassion that he has and the patience that he has to those who are immature. He recognizes that not everyone in the church is at the same level of maturity. But as long as we are united over what we have attained, and so Paul is referring back to chapter three, verse 10 to 11, the righteousness that we have gained through faith, as long as we are united over these things and are patient with one another that we show compassion to one another, that God himself will cause unity to grow among us. That as we are patient with one another, holding the essentials together, God is gonna cause unity to grow among us. Paul's example reminds us to be patient with the growth and maturity of one another. And we remember that the Holy Spirit is the one who's doing a work in their heart. The Holy Spirit is maturing them and bringing them at his own pace. And another thing that helps keep us patient with one another is we remember that even in this moment, someone more mature than us is being patient with us. So we're able to be patient with those who, who are still on their way because we remember that we experience patience. We experience compassion ultimately from Jesus Christ. So we're patient with others. Jesus loves us. We are his. We belong to him. And so this is a great motivation to endure. This is a great motivation to press on towards the goal. But Paul doesn't just leave us this one reason, but he gives us a second reason. We press on. Why? Number two, because we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven. Look at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body and by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. We are citizens of heaven. So Paul here again calls us to endure and to persevere towards our future hope that we have in him. But this time he also presents his own life as an example to us. When we look at Paul and how the Bible describes him, uh, he's actually left an incredible example to us. Look at the way that Paul recounts what God has done in him to Timothy. This is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. He says this to him, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Paul left an incredible example to those who would look to him. 
And, and so Paul lived his life well, and that's why he's able to give his life as an example to the church in Philippi to follow. This should be our goal as well, that we seek to live a life in such a way that we can call others to look at us and say, follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. That we seek to set an example that others are more than glad to follow. But we understand that we can only set such an example when our eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God." We are only able to persevere and only able to show our lives as an example to others of perseverance when we look to the prime example of perseverance and endurance, when, we, when our eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ who endured suffering. So Paul perseveres in the midst of suffering and he gives his life as an, as an example of, of perseverance, but why does he persevere? Well, he tells us earlier it's because he belongs to Jesus, but he also gives us another reason, and we've already said it, that, that we are citizens of heaven. Paul, in, in verses 18 to 21, all he's doing here is contrasting two categories of people. He describes the difference between those who endure towards the goal and those who do not. And so the list is gonna be up here. Here's, here's how Paul categorizes two categories of people found in, in verses 18 to 21. That's all he's doing. One, there's those who do not endure, and they're called enemies of the cross. And those who do endure are called citizens of heaven. The enemies of the cross, their minds are set on earthly things. And, and so Paul, when he's talking about earthly things here, is likely talking about things of immorality, that they concern themselves of just uh, getting, getting their joy in the things of the world. But the citizens of heaven await with patience from heaven a savior. Their minds are set on heaven. They're waiting from heaven a savior. The enemies of the cross, their God is their belly. Now that's, that's a little bit hard for us to understand in our context, but when we understand that in, in the Bible, the heart is understood as the, the seat of the, the will, the thoughts, and the affections. Whereas in Western, modern day culture, we, we tell ourselves, follow your heart when we're telling ourselves to follow your own passions and desires. When the Bible talks about impulses like desires and passions, it actually seats them in our stomach. So when Paul says that their God is their belly, he's saying they just, whatever they desire, whatever passion comes up, whatever impulses they get, they follow after that. Uh, the, the true Christian follows their heart because they've been given a new one. God gives us a new heart with new desires, with a new will, with new thoughts and affections. And so we don't follow our belly from which all, thing, all desires and impulses come from. The Christian, the, the citizens of heaven, the, their God is the Lord Jesus Christ. The enemies of the cross, they glory in their shame. 
This is a a same way of referring, as Paul said earlier in chapter three, those who put confidence in their flesh. That the enemies of the cross put their confidence in things that will pass away. So the enemies of the cross, they glory in things that are truly shameful because they, they don't endure. They put their confidence in things that will pass away. But the citizens of heaven recognize that their bodies are nothing to be celebrated just yet because of their brokenness. They don't put confidence in their flesh. They consider their bodies lowly. The enemies of the cross, their end is destruction. But citizens of heaven are transformed to be like his glorious body. Those who do not persevere and do not endure are called enemies of the cross. There are those who have no concern beyond this life. They find their full joy in themselves and what they have done and live according to their own desires. In fact, they don't even treasure Jesus Christ. We understand that Paul makes it clear that a rejection of the work of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you makes you an enemy of the cross. And so to the unbeliever in this room, we, uh, I say this with great compassion, that your reality is that you stand before God as hostile towards him. But the great news is that in Jesus Christ, we are afforded peace with him. That not because of anything that we could do, but because Jesus Christ stood in our place and offers us peace with him. Paul makes it clear that, that those who are found in the category of enemies of the cross, that their end is destruction. But for those who are in Christ, we are headed towards glory and joy. Amen? That, that that is our destination, that we aren't just here for this world or for this time, but that God has given us a future hope that is certain, that those who are in Christ are headed for glory and for great joy. When we understand our identity, that we belong to Jesus, that we belong to the kingdom of heaven, the way we live changes radically. The way we live changes. Instead of being focused and caught up with earthly things, we fix our eyes on the hope that is to come, Jesus Christ himself. That Jesus is our hope. That Jesus is coming back to to rescue us, to rescue those who belong to him and to his kingdom. It's kind of like how citizens who are trapped in an embassy of a foreign country, Jesus coming back to rescue us that this isn't our home, that that we are citizens of heaven, that the church is very much like an embassy of the kingdom of God, that that we show the world what, what, what God has done, what the people of God are like, but we understand that we, we don't belong here. Jesus is coming to rescue us. And here is where our security in that hope is found. Verse 21 the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. It is the sovereign power of Jesus Christ that gives us confidence, security, and certainty to our hope. That because Jesus Christ is all-powerful, that all things are subject to him. That we have no question as to who will win at the end of the day. That Jesus Christ comes back, not simply to do battle, but comes back as victorious king. That there's no question as to who will win. 
Jesus Christ comes back to save us. That nothing and no one will stop him and his work of saving his people. So our hope is secure because of the authority of Jesus. But our hope is made possible because of the humiliation of Jesus Christ. Frank Theoman says this, he identified, so he's talking about Jesus, identified with their humility so that they might in turn be identified with his resurrected body. Paul earlier in Philippians chapter two shows that that Christ in all of his glory did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself becoming like us. And now our lowly bodies are able to be made like his glorious body because of the work that he's done. We only experience glory because Jesus experienced humility. Because of the work that Jesus Christ has done in leaving glory behind, taking on the likeness of our lowly bodies, dying in our place, that we have a hope and even a possibility of knowing that one day our bodies will be made like his. That because of what he has done, we can be made like him. That he came in the likeness of men, perfectly obeyed God the Father, that in our place he died on the cross, dying the death that we rightly deserved. And then because of his perfect obedience, he's exalted by God the Father and everything is subject to him. So Christ was made like us, but he was exalted. And for those who are found in Christ, the same thing awaits for us, that our lowly bodies will be made like his that our lowly and broken bodies that are prone to injury, disease, but ultimately prone to sin will be made one day like his. That's our hope, that one day we will be made like him. Because our hope is secure, we persevere. Paul, in, in that last verse, chapter four, verse one, really summarizes all that he said tells them, therefore my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my, my joy and crown, stand, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul wants them to press on, to stand firm in the Lord. And we can see that he, he says all of these things, not just simply as an apostle who has authority over them, but look at the way he talks to them. Verse one, my brothers, those whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, my beloved. Paul Paul loves these people. His desire is that one day, at the end of days, that he will be able to present the Philippians to God with great joy. He wants to come before God the Father and say, look, they've endured, they've persevered. What Paul wants to do with the church in Philippi is what we are assured that Christ will do with us. Look at what what Jude says in verses 24 to 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, 
be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. What Paul desires to do with the church in Philippi, to present them with joy to God the Father, Jesus Christ himself is going to do that with us. That our hope is secure and we persevere, not because it's based on us, but because of Jesus Christ and his work. Our hope is secure and sure because it's built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his work for us. This is why we go home today motivated by the gospel to never give up. We fight sin, we, we're quick to repent, we endure persecution, we, we embrace opposition even as we share the gospel. Why? Because we run the race with joy with endurance and with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the source of joy and joy itself, that our hope is secure so we persevere. Our hope is secure in the fact that Jesus Christ is king. We belong to him, we belong to his kingdom. And one day, one day for those who endure, Jesus will present us before the Father with great joy. We look forward to that day and in the meantime, we endure with a hope that is secure. So let's pray, even now, for the Spirit to help us understand and apply these things. Father, you have been so good to us that you have not left us to ourselves, but that you have given us your word by which we know you, by which we know about Jesus Christ, by which we know of our own need. And so we're thankful for the word that was brought to us today. And we pray that your spirit would help us even as we apply. Father, we thank you that, that our hope is sure, that we have a secure and certain future hope. Not because of anything we have done, but because Jesus Christ is the solid rock on which we stand. That he alone is our hope. So we look forward to that future hope. We remind ourselves that we belong to Jesus, that we are citizens of heaven, and so we press on, all because we stand on nothing else other than Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.